and take a seat. Lord, free us from the distractions as we focus on your words to us this morning through the Holy Scriptures. As we open our Bibles, would you speak to us? Teach us more about you and your ways. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me, that you would empower me to preach not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Strengthen me to accurately preach the word of God. And may your body, the church, be encouraged and edified. May your church grow to be strong. May we, in this unique time in our history, be ever more salt and light to a lost and dying world. And all God's people said, amen. Well, within this series, it's really part of the different series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've taken about three weeks, and because I'm leaving the next two weeks, um, I didn't want to just start back to the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to continue as we've talked about kind of the, what's a biblical understanding of the societal chaos that we're seeing and then kind of what is our response as a church. I just want to hopefully encourage you, this will not be another marathon section, session like last week, but I want you to just be encouraged. I've entitled this sermon Injustice for All because, you know, what do we say or we used to? I pledge allegiance to the flag. I remember growing up, by the way, how many grew up having to stand every uh, class period for them, you know, you'd say the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, where all it goes and so on, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, and what? Liberty and justice for all. So this sermon is entitled Injustice for All. I want you to be encouraged that justice is coming. We are not seeing it now, or we see it in its very imperfect way. In fact, I was at the Hagen Grocery Store on Friday, and I had to get a few things that they didn't have at Fred Meyer, and so I was checking out in the, uh, one of the faster lines, because you know how I love to wait in lines, by the way, how patient I am. And uh, the lady somehow that was checking me out, somehow, I don't remember how it got started, but she asked me you know, if I would, you know, I told her somehow I was in the Midwest. I was from the Midwest. And she said, well, would you like to ever go back to the Midwest? I.e., what would I like about the Midwest? And I said, well, I, you know, like it's a little bit more conservative, but I would not uh, want to go back to our families there. But, you know, I, I, like, I like the, the temperate climate here and, and stuff like that. And I do miss snow, the, the winters, about two weeks of it. After that, uh, you know, that's enough for me, but I can go up to the mountains and get that, you know. Um, and she said, well, would you like to live in the East Coast? I said, I did. I said, I've lived and told her kind of my history of where I've lived. And, you know, we, we like the West Coast and, and Washington in terms of the, you know, the, the beauty and everything and the temperate climate. Um, and I said, but I don't like, to be honest with you, you know, how liberal it is out here. 
and I really don't like all the protesting that's going on. And she just, I would just kind of test her and threw it out there. And she totally agreed with me. She says, whatever they stood for, has, that message has been lost with all the protesting. She says, you watch, she said, the people will leave Seattle. I said, well, some businesses already are. She says, yeah, but the people are going to leave. They're going to move out of there. Um, did you hear what happened last night? The, they declared it a riot in Seattle now. There's no destruction of property, a, uh, a explosion. Of course, that's tamed what's going on in Portland, and then there's outbreaks in Louisville and other places. There's a loss of life. Um, and so I thought, you know, let's just talk about something that, that is coming. There will be justice for all. Here's a verse that I put up there that I want you to see. I thought, oh my goodness, this verse just totally describes what we are experiencing. This is the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Does that sound familiar at all? He's seen it right before his eyes. Violence, strife, contention. Why is God not doing anything? And verse 4, how apropos. So the law is paralyzed. The law is paralyzed. Why can they attack police officers? Where in the world is, 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 is that written that that's lawful? Why can they try and destroy federal buildings? Leaders, corrupt leaders, immoral leaders, have paralyzed the law by allowing these things. And as a result, justice never goes forth. And both sides, conservative, liberal, whatever, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. It seems like it takes a massive loss of life when it never needed to get there, but a massive loss of life before they decide to do something in Chicago. That is perverted justice. And just so you know, in case you haven't heard, when leaders are immoral and are corrupt and fail to lead. It is not the elite, it is not the wealthy that suffer. It is the poor. The poor are not crying out to defund or abolish the police. They're asking for more. I've seen the interviews with the people. But it has always been that way as we've talked about I want to read a number of stories here for you, so just sit back and, and listen. First story. By the time he made it to a Union encampment in Baton Rouge in March 1863, a slave by the name of Peter had been through hell. Bloodhounds had chased him. He had been pursued for miles, had run barefoot through creeks and across fields. He had survived, if barely. When he reached the soldiers, Peter's clothing was ragged, Ragged and soaked with mud and sweat, but his 10-day ordeal was nothing compared to what he had already been through. During Peter's enslavement to John and Bridge and Lyons on their Louisiana plantation, Peter endured not just slavery, but a brutal whipping that nearly took his life. Here is the 
picture of his back. During a medical examination, the white soldiers of the Union Army who inspected Peter were horrified by his wounds. It sent a thrill of horror to every white person present. But the few blacks who were waiting paid but little attention to the sad spectacle. Such terrible scenes were painfully familiar to them all. And for thousands of white people, it was a shocking image that helped fuel the fires of abolition during the Civil War. It's courtesy of the History Channel. It was this picture, the technology had the time to replicate it, that really galvanized the Northern States and Union Army. Another story. Just days before he was supposed to trout as a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, in 1981, a talented 21-year-old ball player by the name of William Dillon, ever heard of him before? I doubt you have. He was arrested and charged with the beating death of James Dvorak on a Florida beach. At the trial, a jailhouse snitch testified for the prosecution that Dillon confessed to him while awaiting trial. Prosecutors later dropped a pending rape charge against the snitch. The driver who picked up the hitchhiker, who was the main suspect, and he was the main suspect because his clothes were covered in the victim's blood, identified the passenger, that is the, the driver, that this passenger, this hitchhiker, had a mustache. But William Dillon had never grown a mustache in his entire life. Now, though Dillon took the stand and said he was not at the beach that night, an alibi that was supported by other witnesses, a jury convicted him, which led to a life sentence. And after serving 27 years, so he was 21 years old, he is 48 years old by now, after serving 27 years behind bars, Dillon was exonerated of the crime and set free with the help of DNA technology but not before he paid for another man's crime with the best years of his life. It's from a story from Michael McLaughlin, Huffington Post. You can look up William Dillon. It's all true. A wrongful imprisonment. It doesn't give you faith to put your future in the hands of a jury, does it? I'd rather put it in the hand of a judge who understands the law. You'll maybe remember this, I've heard of it, the Tacoma Riot of 1885, also known as the 1885 Chinese Expulsion of Tacoma. Are you familiar with this? Involved the forceful expulsion of the Chinese population from Tacoma, Washington Territory, on November 3rd, 1885. City leaders had earlier proposed a November 1st deadline for the Chinese population to leave the city. Now listen to this. On November 3rd, 1885, a mob that consisted of prominent businessmen, police, and political leaders descended on the Chinese community. The mob marched Chinese residents to a railroad station and forced them to board a train to Portland. In the following days, the structures that remained in the Chinese community were raised, the event was the result of growing anti-Chinese sentiment and violence throughout the American West. This organized action became known as the Tacoma Method. And despite national and international outcry, it was used as an example of how to forcibly remove Chinese residents from cities and towns 
throughout the America West. The anti-Chinese sentiment in Tacoma and Washington Territory more broadly made it so that those involved did not face repercussions for their actions. More than 100 years later, in 1993, the Tacoma City Council issued a statement on expulsion saying that it was a most reprehensible occurrence. That is not justice being done. That is not fair. That is not right. Do you recognize the name? Kaylee Marie Anthony. Anybody? You will. She was a two-year-old girl reported missing in Orlando, Florida in July 2008, whose remains were found in a wooded area near her home in December 2008. Her 22-year-old mother, Casey Anthony, you remember there? Was charged with murdering her daughter by administering chloroform, then applying duct tape to her mouth because she simply wanted her freedom. The defense team, led by defense attorney Jose Baez, countered that the child had drowned accidentally in the family's swimming pool on June 16, 2008, and that Casey lied about this and other issues because of a dysfunctional upbringing. Blame mom and dad. Casey Anthony was acquitted of first-degree murder but convicted of lying to police officers in a televised trial in the summer of 2011. Do you guys remember that at all? It was described by Time Magazine as the social media trial of the century. More than five years after a jury in Florida cleared Casey Anthony in the murder of her two-year-old daughter, a private investigator named Dominic Casey, who was hired by Casey Anthony's attorney, Jose Baez, for Casey Anthony's trial, claimed the mom's attorney, Jose Baez, admitted that Casey killed the girl and hid her body. This information was found in court documents that went public in Casey Anthony's bankruptcy case. A black man, a white man, the Chinese population of Tacoma, and a two-year-old Kaylee Marie Anthony they all suffered various forms of injustice. Now, when we hear stories like this, they, they call from deep within us, deep within the human soul, for justice. Now, it is a familiar sound to God. I want you to know this. Costly, up, coming up before God, are the cries of Christian martyrs, and this is what they say. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, you remember this? O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will find, before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It is the cry of human nature. When will justice be done? Now this cry, it, I said before, it's just the part of the human experience in a fallen world. It's been that cry from the very beginning since man has sinned. We live in an unfair world. Life isn't fair. 
I've told you I've been repeat reading through Jeremiah. Well, I found this, the same theme repeated in Jeremiah. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. Woe, which again, a woe is a divine curse, that's what it means. Woe to the shepherds. The shepherds in this context aren't actual shepherds of, of sheep and goats. They are the leaders, the kings and the priests in context. We would say for us today, our shepherds are our, our leaders, our rulers, the President of the United States, the mayor, those leaders. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, and this is what a shepherd should do, by the way. This is what your pastor should do. This is what your, the police should do. This is what the mayor should do. This is what your representatives in, in, in the House of Representatives, in Congress, in our government, should be doing. They are to care for the people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to to you for your evil deeds. You're not doing your job, payback is coming. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. And notice that the reason why, one of the reasons why they will be fruitful and multiply is God has decreed it, and he's going to create the conditions for that to happen, which is what? I will set shepherds over them who what? Should care for them. They're going to do their job. They shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Now watch this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch. That's a reference to Jesus Christ. And what will he do? He shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall what? He's going to execute justice and righteousness in the land. So here's the prophet Jeremiah. Speaking of a promise of a temporary historical restoration of Israel from captivity, we know that that happened historically. But the days are coming when the Messiah will come and reign as king and do justice and righteousness in the land. This is what the people were look forward to. And the New Testament presents Jesus Christ as that coming Messiah, the righteous branch of David. He will be the righteous judge. Acts 10, 38 and verse 42. This is what the New Testament says when Luke wrote this. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's more of the temporary justice that's being done. But watch what happens, because we don't think of Jesus Christ as this. We don't see him as this. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, meaning Jesus Christ, is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. When Jesus Christ comes again, he is coming to judge the living and the dead. He's coming to execute righteousness, which means he's coming to execute perfect justice. And I said before, obviously, justice and righteousness, they have not happened fully under the sun. 
i.e. in the sight of heaven. But when, when will the Messiah, Jesus Christ, execute perfect justice? When he judges the living and dead, obviously, when will that happen? At his second coming. Now, you have to remember, at the first coming of Jesus Christ, he came to die for our sins. Think of it as he came and it was just grace, which is what we need. If he came to judge, it would everything be wiped out. It would be nothing. But at his second coming, he's coming to rule, which means he's coming to judge. Now, both the Old and the New Testament testify to what his justice looks like. And this is the crux of the message that I want you to just really, as best you can if you're tired, stay awake and hear this. Because what I'm about to read is not easy to hear. It is not a pretty picture, but it is a consistent message throughout the Bible. In fact, it's a gruesome picture of what his justice will look like. Turn in your Bibles, I'm going to give you time to find it, to Ezekiel chapter 38. Look at verse chapter 38 and 39 briefly. You will see as we go through this that the New Testament supports this judgment. Jesus Christ specifically speaks of it. This is what his justice looks like. So for all of you who long for justice, for all of you who are, are a little angry when you watch these riots and the destruction of, of you know, no one's talking about, you know, there's a Starbucks that was burned down. Not that there aren't enough Starbucks in Washington, but there's a Starbucks that was burned down last night in Seattle. Now think about that. Who owned that Starbucks? Aren't there in a franchise? Am I right in that? So have individual owners of that? Am I right? What's going to happen to that building? Well, this, what is this business owner going to do? He's going to put in an insurance claim, right? What will happen to the insurance rates? I'm assuming they're going to go up. What was this Starbucks doing? I mean, were they unfair? Were they discriminating? Were they, was there social injustice there? course not. But this is what is coming for those of us that long for justice. And as I prepared this and as you read this, um, just understand, yes, I long for justice. I'm a very fair person. But this is, is troublesome to read, what, what, what I'm about to read. Verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, that's Ezekiel, set your face toward Gog, of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech in Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you. That right then and there is enough to scare you. If you pause alone, or pause and take some time alone and think, I am against you. God is against you. I think that life is hard enough under the sun when God is with me and for me. Imagine a life where God is against you. O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, 
all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. It doesn't just, he's not, it's not just Gog. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. In other words, what is God doing? And this is what God is doing. He is gathering all the nations of the world and they're going to come against Israel. They're going to war against God. He is bringing them all together. Now why? Look at verse 16 of Ezekiel chapter 38. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. I mean, there's going to be a massive armies, massive, the nations are going to come up against God in essence. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land. God is doing this. Now watch this. That the nations may know me when through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now is the time for God to be vindicated through his judgment. Through his name, which is being run through the mud. That time is ending. It's over. My holiness will be vindicated. Now, what does that judgment look like? Verses 22 and 23. With pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will reign upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him, torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. Of course, that sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So I will show my greatness. Do you see what he's doing? I'm going to show my greatness and my holiness. How is God showing his greatness and his holiness? Through his judgment. It is his execution of justice. And make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. The people that say that God doesn't exist, where is God? God won't judge. I can live my life the way I want to. Do what I want. I am God. Yeah, right, okay? This is what's going to happen. Now, this description continues in chapter 39. Look at verses 3 and 5. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. In other words, they're going to fall from fear of what they see. And again, let me put this into perspective for you. Whenever you see in the Bible just one angel come before a holy person that's in good standing with God, what happens to that holy person, that righteous person? Do they contend pick up a sword and, and, and fight against an angel, or do they just fall down to the ground because they have no energy, no life left in them? They're overwhelmed. That's just with one angel, okay? You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and the peoples who are with you. So there's going to be massive loss of life, and look what happens. This is God speaking, God doing this. I will give to you what? Birds of prey of every sort into the beasts of the field to be devoured. So the bodies that will be, that, that will be out in a field, in this, 
place, the massive amount of bodies, God is giving them as food to who? The birds and the beasts. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. God is doing this. This is a, des- a description. I, I, I couldn't think of any other words. It's just utter destruction. Do you know what the word carrion means? Not like a carry-on piece of luggage, but C-A-R-R-I-O-N, carry-on. Yeah, but, but, but it's basically the, 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 all the people, all the nations, all the armies, they've been the roadkill. That's what carry means, the roadkill. For the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Their food. Now, Ezekiel continues with more details of God's judgment. Verse 17, chapter 39. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all beasts of the field. Assemble and come. Stop right there. (laughs) Do you see what he's saying there? Get the birds and the beasts ready. Come. Gather from all around to the sacrificial feast I am preparing for you. A great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of he goats, and of bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan. And you shall eat Fat till you are filled, and drink blood till you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. So the nation, you see that phrase sacrifice or sacrificial feast? The nations have rejected God's sacrifice for their sins. Who is the sacrifice that God provided for the sins of the world? And they've rejected that. And guess what? Now is the time to pay for that rejection. The dead, do you hear me? The dead will be their own sacrifice. God requires a sacrifice, and they're going to be the sacrifice. He is preparing them. They will be destroyed, they will be eaten. by vultures, by the birds of the air, and by the beasts of the field. Blood will be flowing everywhere. They're not being buried. Why aren't they going to be buried? There's no one left to bury them. Now, as chilling as that may sound, I think it's harder for us to comprehend such carnage. I just want everyone to remember this, that the glory of God has been put on hold in the presence of injustice. Do you know that? God is not glorified when there is injustice. Is God being glorified right now in these cities? No, he is not. We would say that now is the time for injustice. But they will have their time. And then it will end. And whose time will follow injustice? The time of justice. 
And in God's perfect justice and in his perfect judgment, he will execute justice and he will be glorified. He will be glorified in this scene of carnage. He says this throughout chapter 39. This is chapter 39 of Ezekiel, verses 6 through 8 and 21 through 22. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So why is the fire coming? Why is the destruction coming? They refuse to acknowledge I am Lord. When this happens, they're going to know I am the Lord. And my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming, and it will be brought about, declares the Lord God, that is the day of which I have spoken. So God's name will be revered as holy in the midst of this carnage. Verses 21 22. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid in him. God is doing this. He is taking ownership of this. It's, this is why it's happening. And he is glorified in this judgment, in this utter destruction of the people that have rejected his sacrifice. Therefore, the dead, they themselves, will be the sacrificial feast. And the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. Now everybody turn to Luke 17, 37. I've spoken on this before here, but I want you to see this, the amazing consistency of Scripture. Jesus points to this very day. After describing what the coming of the kingdom would be like, his disciples are stunned, and they ask the question, where, Lord? Here's Luke 17, 37. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, do you remember this? This is the reason, by the way, that we are to persevere in prayer. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Does that sound familiar now? When he comes again, and he executes his justice. There's a massive carnage. Where will this happen? Look for the vultures. Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Paul looks forward to this day when he writes in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 8. Since indeed God considers it just to replay, repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. In the eyes of God, what he is doing is just. Now, Jesus had the apostle John record this day of judgment again. Notice in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 21, the amazing consistency of Scripture. I'm just going to read this. I actually had it up here for us. Yeah. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. 
He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They saw an angel standing in the sun, and, a and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Sound familiar again? Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make a war against him who was sitting on the horse against his army. And the beast was captured with the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that comes from the mouth of him was sitting on the horse, and look at that last few words. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. The greatest rulers of this world are made food for vultures. There is no one to bury them. They have been reduced to the lowest possible level that a human being could be taken to, Food for the birds who were filled with their flesh. Now, I just want to close this morning with some judgment basics. Because Solomon spoke of remembering the coming judgment of God and to make the best of life in a fallen world. So here are a few reminders of that final judgment. What I call, first of all, the who of judgment. This is where it gets personal now. Angels will be judged. Do you not know that we will judge angels? 1 Corinthians 6, 3. Did you know that, by the way? Believers judge angels. Unbelievers will be judged. Romans 2, 5, and 6. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. So your unbelieving neighbor, whether you have a good relationship with them or not, will be judged. Believers will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Hebrews 10.30, the Lord will judge his people. You're going to be judged. Remember that. You will be judged. So you can look at me now and stop looking down. You hear me? We're all going to be judged. Here's a hint, if you didn't know this. Did you know that even right now you're being judged? 1 Peter 4, 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. If it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So that's just the who of judgment. 
Here is the what of judgment. What will be judged? Well, your deeds will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now watch this. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So for believers, you're going to receive what you are due. Now watch this. This judgment isn't for hell. It's not for the suffering of your sin. That's already been dealt with. But you're going to receive according to what you did with what you were given. Things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Revelation 20, 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is a book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Let that sink in. You know, we have what was recorded for some of the kings of Israel, right? That's what we can read it. It's called what? First and Second Kings. The same way, your life, my life, what you do, it's being recorded. It's being written down. Your words will be judged. Matthew 12, 36. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. And you know how well I control my mouth. Your thoughts will be judged. The intentions, your attitudes. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. He will bring out the word of God. Remember that? The word of God is what? A double-edged sword. He will cut you open like a, like a knife cuts open, separating you know, bone and, and tissue and everything. His word of God will, will literally open you up. You'll be held down. You'll be completely naked and exposed in the inner true you. And he'll take an account of what's in there. He already knows what's in there, but you're going to see what's in there. He will expose the motives of men's hearts. Why you unfriended that person. Why you voted for this person. Why in the world did the Seahawks throw that pass instead of run it in to win the Super Bowl? So to summarize, what will be judged? Well, the Bible says that there's nothing that is now hidden that will not be revealed on the day of judgment. And I want you to remember this, though, because this is very important. The believer's sins, your shortcomings, they will be revealed at judgment as forgiven, whose guilt has been completely covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But you'll have before you two piles. Deeds that you did, in the body and your thoughts and your words that were done with the right motive and everything, and those will be crowns for you. Another pile next to you will be ashes, things that you did that when they went through the fire, they didn't last. And so if I were to have my wife up here and myself, and we had our two piles, of course my pile would be much larger than my wife's, right? Those are the crowns I receive that I can throw back at the Lord's feet, we think. But that's the point, do you get it? 
is that you are forgiven. It's a judgment for rewards. It's a judgment, basically it's an examination of your stewardship of what God has entrusted to your care. Because it goes beyond the basic, you know, your, your time, your talents, your treasure, the simple things we think of as stewardship. But yeah, you have nothing to fear from this judgment if you are a believer. You should be afraid if you're not a believer because of what we just went over. Remember, it is written, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the believer's judgment is one of final rewards. How you used or misused what God's entrusted to your stewardship. And folks, I don't know what my spiritual gift is as an excuse to not serve the church. I won't, is that going to fly? Well, I'm too busy to be involved in, 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 in God's work, whatever that may be. I'm, is that going to fly? I just was distracted and just quite frankly was too busy and life just was so much that I just don't really want to spend time with God and cultivate a relationship with him. Is that going to fly? I mean, what excuses will you have? Think of this judgment as Monday film day after the game on Sunday. I mean, it's all there on tape. It's all there in film. You can't hide anything. You know the play that was called. Did you do what you're supposed to do? And you're graded on it. The realization that we will have to give an account for everything we have done, said, and thought that should serve as a constant motivation to be salt and light. Why, why this sermon? Well, here's 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets in the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And what is the prediction of the holy prophets of the apostles? Justice is coming. A reckoning is coming. Judgment is coming. And by the way, as I close with this, this morning we've looked at Jeremiah, we looked at Ezekiel, we looked at Acts, we looked at Revelation, all about God's coming justice. But it's not limited to these books. Here are a few other books in the Bible that it talks about this coming judgment and execution of perfect justice by God. You'll find it in Isaiah. You find it in the Psalms. You find it in Joel. You find it in Zephaniah. You find it in Zechariah. And there, there, there's more, but for the sake of time. What we are witnessing literally every day because of technology, God is watching. And there is justice coming. And so just remember, God's justice is coming. It's really, in, in essence, what I said last week. It's what Solomon said, what? Fear God, enjoy life, and what? Remember that God's judgment is coming. He will make all things right. Let's pray.
Lord, I pray that this would be a, a not necessarily a, a, a somber moment here, but just a reminder of, yes, it's a sad thing. It's a vicious thing. It's a terrible thing. A day of wrath, a day of judgment, that, that such carnage is there that you have ordained, that you will bring about as you are glorified in your judgment. We know that we will be judged, a judgment for our rewards, and I pray that we would do our best, our very, very best, to be salt and light in a lost and dying world. So this week, may we remember your judgment, and may it create within us, through your Holy Spirit, just compassion for these people that are just bringing about looting and destruction and, and the effects of which we will probably never really know. Lord, end it. Come again, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please stand. We'll close.